Wow. Piper? Okay. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Wow. We're thankful for the, those instances that we hear of. So, yes, sir. Okay. Randy Turner family. Jeff, will you lead us in prayer? morning. If you'll stand for worship this morning, uh, we're going to start worship with singing This Is The Day. And I just was going to tell y'all, this was the first song. I think I sang this in church when I was like three. And I asked mom why, we, why I sang this song. And she said, well, it's the only song you can pronounce all the words enough for them to hear you and, you know, actually understand you. But what a great song for, you know, her to teach me really, really young. Um, and as I think about what we talked about last week about worship, you know, I can't help but think of this song and that each day we have reasons to worship and we have blessings to be thankful for because it's a day that the Lord has made and given us. So let's start worship with this. This is the day that the Lord has 
spend this morning with singing 10,000 Reasons. Your heart is kind for all. 
Thank you for just reminding us that this is a, made, a day that you have made, God, a day for us to go out into the world and shine your light, God, a day for us to uh, count our blessings that you have granted us, God, a day for us to worship you, Lord. And God, on Sundays, it might be easier to worship because we're in your house, God, but this week, I pray that you'll remind us each morning to wake up and worship, God. Lord, I pray that we will just wake up every morning with... Um, just a clear understanding that you have made the day for us to go out and do something great for your kingdom, God. Lord, I just pray that you show us those things in our life, God, that we need to use to make your kingdom great, Lord. God, I just thank you for allowing us to gather together and worship God. Lord, I pray that we um, never take for granted just the amazing blessing and gift of gathering, God. And, Lord, I just pray that um, you just protect our church and protect our congregation, that we'll be able to continue to worship and gather safely together, God. Lord, we just lift up um, Neil and his family, that you continue to heal them, God, and any other families in our church that may be sick, Lord. And, God, I just pray that during, during this holiday season, God, those families who have been gone since March and have not came back to this place, God, Lord, that you would open a way for them to do that, God. Um, and that you would give us guidance on making this a safe place for those to come and worship, Lord. God, as we continue to worship during this time of study, I just pray that you speak clearly through your word, uh, through, through Bryson, God. Lord, just let us hear um, what you would have us learn this morning from Ecclesiastes, God. Lord, may your word be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path, God. May we hide its words in our hearts. We just turn this time over to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's following Proverbs, and before you get to the Song of Solomon, uh, right there plugged in the middle is a little book called Ecclesiastes, and uh, that's where we're going to be this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're just going to be in the first seven verses um, this morning, and as I was <laughs> uh, leaving church last Sunday morning, I called Neil and uh, just talked to him for a few minutes, and knowing I was going to be preaching this morning, I asked him, do you want me to go back to Habakkuk and, uh, you know, start to finish uh, that, um, that book and that, and that series? And he said, you know, I actually have those sermons done already. Um, so basically, he, he told me no, and uh, he said, you can find your own something to preach, and uh, those are mine. So uh, no, he didn't say it that way, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, if that's what he meant or not, but he's going to preach those when he returns. Um, and uh, so in that moment, already I began to think about what it is that we might talk about and, and study this morning. And uh, almost piggybacking off of what we talked about last week in terms of our reason for worship, this morning we're going to talk about the necessity of God in the church, the necessity of God 
in the church. And this is not, once again, this is not a book or a passage that would have been something that I've just, you know, had sitting in the back of my mind. Um, But it's interesting the way that God continues to work um, through his word is this was Monday morning. Um, This was where I was at in my Old Testament reading for my quiet time. And uh, I just read it, and it just stood out to me how relevant it was, not just for um, today and for my life, but for our church in general. And so that is how we ended up in this book, in this passage, is just by the grace of God. So um, I pray that you will tune in and, and take some time to really just ingest all that we're going to listen to and, and, and talk about this morning. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our opportunity just to be here together, Lord. And I pray this morning that this not be another service that we sit through and listen and it goes in one ear and out the other, Lord, but that we would take hold of what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, that we know that your word is living and breathing, Lord, and that it has, it has such meaning to our lives right now as it did to those who, who originally read it, Lord. And I pray that we see not only the truth that's in the text, Lord, but we also see the truth of the way that the Spirit works in our lives to show us where we need this scripture to work within our own hearts. Lord, open up our minds, soften our flesh, Lord, so that we can see and understand and know how good you are and that we leave here this morning, Lord, changed and renewed for the rest of the week. In your name we pray, amen. The book of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't have a a 100% guaranteed author, although many people believe it is Solomon. Um, He does not state within the book, I'm Solomon, right? So, We don't know for sure, Um, but throughout this book's first four chapters, the author has fixated on this theme of the meaninglessness of life, and I'm here to tell you that I'm sure that gets you excited about what we're going to talk about this morning, right? Yeah, the meaninglessness of life. That's a hard word to say. I hope I don't have to say it too often, but what the author is attempting to convey to his audience is that all of life lacks its true meaning if it is not correctly correlated to God. And throughout the first four chapters, he's talked about the fact that he's built houses and he has money and he has uh, servants and all of these things. Everything that the world says, if you take hold of these things, that will bring meaning to your life. He says those are all meaningless when they're brought without a right correlation and mindset between yourself and God. And as he leads us through the first four chapters, he brings that same theme into chapter 5. In, in, in Ecclesiastes 2.11, he said, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained 
under the sun. So the teacher, as he is called throughout the book and as I'll refer to him, is showing us the inevitable disappointment we will find in life when we do not align ourselves with God. And that is the truth out there and that is the truth in here. And so that is where we're going to be at this morning, the necessity of God in the church. So the first part that we're going to look at is the necessity of God in our preparation. The necessity of God in our preparation. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we begin with the teacher urging his readers to guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. Now, this house of God would have most likely been Solomon's temple. If you've read anything in the Old Testament, you know just the amazing structure that was Solomon's temple. He, He lacked no expense in building this temple to God. This would have been a grand structure that would have been used for, for worship for the people of Israel. It would have been a place of teaching and sacrificing and, and remembering and congregating. So as the teacher addresses these people, he makes sure to warn them, do not take for granted your time at the house of God. When he, when he, when he urges them to guard their steps on the way to the house of the Lord, he knows that they are coming from many different places, both mentally and physically, right? Right? Some are coming from the fields where they've worked all day. Some are coming from their fruit stand where they've sold fruit all day. Some are coming from their homes, right? All these people are coming from different areas of life, but one thing they have in common is that they are going to the house of God. Since becoming a father, I feel as if my life is more preparation-driven than it has ever been before. And many of you, I'm sure, understand that. When I wake up on Monday or Tuesday morning... The checklist of the things that we have to think about is just astounding sometimes, and I still forget. What time do we need to get up in the morning in order to feed Charlie at this time, in order to get our showers at this time and this time, in order so we can get in the car at this time, so we can not forget to make the bottle and, and, and not forget that, does he want Pooh Bear or does he want his Tigger? You know, what, I don't know what it is, but there's this preparation that takes place where every little detail is important. Where are we meeting the babysitter? Who's taking him? Can you take him? I can't take him. I have a meeting. And on and on and on we go. Our lives have become completely taken over by Charlie, which is not something that I'm necessarily upset about. But this leads us to have an increase in our preparation for everything that we need. And I want you to think about for your second all the areas in life that you prepare for. If you have a big meeting with your boss, you're definitely going to spend the time preparing for that meeting. You're going to crunch the numbers. You're going to look through the data. You're going to print off what he says to print off, and you're going to think about and look over the things that he says to think about and look over. Look, think, think of the ways in which we, if we have a party, right, you're going to make sure that the house is clean. and we're, Do we have enough food? Do we need to go get ice? All of these areas in life, we put in immense amounts of preparation. In all areas of life, we are pushed to have some type of of, of preparing. And this teacher knows that when people came to the house of God, they would be coming from different places, but it was still important for them to prepare. What the teacher makes sure to tell the people is that as you approach the house of God, guard your steps. Know where you're going. Know what you're going to do. And know that it's important not only to be prepared when you get there, to be preparing yourself on your way. And so as you approach the place of God where you will spend time worshiping Him and honoring Him and make sure that you are taking the time to prepare for such a time. 
enter into his house, it says, more ready to listen and obey to what God has commanded than to bring a self-centered sacrifice. Be more willing to listen to God's directions than to go through the motions of what the time spent there will look like. In Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, it says, In him, just speaking of Jesus, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The amazing thing about God is the fact that when Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins, the veil in the temple was torn and now Jesus lives in you and me. So guess who is the house of God? We are as his people. And so just the same way that the teacher here says, prepare yourselves to go to the house of God, we as the house of God must prepare ourselves to come together to be a dwelling place in which Jesus can speak and move and work through us. And so I believe when we take this scripture and we, and we apply it to ourselves, what we can say is, are we preparing to come here and be the dwelling place of the house of God? Are we prepared to come here and truly worship and magnify him in the way that he deserves to be worshipped and magnified? And that begins where? At home. We need to recognize and see. Don't take this for granted. We learned earlier this year that this can be taken away like that. That this isn't just a given. This isn't, this isn't just a, a, a place to hang out. On a Sunday morning, this is a place to get together and be the dwelling place of God. And that is, that is something that we should take seriously. That is something that we should take as a way to approach God humbly. And say, this morning, as I'm getting ready to go to your house, what do you want me to do to prepare to be who you need me to be this morning? God is necessary in our preparation for worship. You and I as believers are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives. And so it's important for us to, to realize and understand that not only is God necessary in the preaching preparation. And not only is God necessary in the musical preparation. And not only is God necessary in the singing preparation. But he's necessary in the greeters preparation. He's necessary in the children's workers' preparation, and he's necessary in every member's life in preparation for worship. Because if you are not in your right mindset and right heart, I do not believe that you'll be able to see and understand the amazing things that God's going to do in the service. Think about the way in which we enter and come before God into his house. If we want to be a church of great power and great influence. We want to see God move in a mighty way, which I pray that that's what you want. It begins with the way that we approach our time together. Are you and I guarding our steps on the way to the house of God? Are we coming prepared to listen and obey instead of coming to go through a meaningless, superficial time together? That's the point that the, the, the author's trying to make is like all of life is meaningless. And you know what else is meaningless? This together, if it's not utterly focused on God. If we're not coming here with hearts completely humbled before him, we can make even church together meaningless. Let us understand that not only is God being in the forefront of our hearts and minds of, 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 of the ones up here on stage, but of the ones in the chairs as well. 
God has the power and the might to shake us and move us as a church in an incredible way, but we must prepare our hearts and guard our steps to receive such an awakening. Alistair Begg, who's one of my favorite preachers, when he's speaking on this topic, he says this, it is better for you to be tuned in than to be decked out. And what he means by that for, for Bryson, this is just Bryson speaking. When I, when, I, when I heard him said that, I said, it means that I prioritize prayer before service rather than presentation. It means that if I have to choose between staying up late on a Saturday morning and getting up early, early on a Sunday morning, I choose Sunday morning worship. It means that I make humbling myself for worship more important than what I wear for worship. It ultimately means prioritizing God above every other possible thing. When we come here together, what is it that was on the forefront of your mind on your way here this morning? Because I believe when, when God truly begins to move in our lives, it'll, it'll begin on our way here. It'll begin when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do instead of grabbing your phone is grab your Bible. It'll begin by getting on your knees instead of turning on the TV. Now, I'm not trying to pick and choose certain things, but I'm just telling you, in my own life, my life is a lot better when I disconnect from the world and connect to God. Shouldn't that begin our, our day? Shouldn't we realize and, and understand the necessity of God even as we're preparing ourselves to come before his throne? The more time we spend with God in our preparation, the more of a necessity we make him, the more Psalm 8410 becomes a reality which says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Oh, that God would move us and change us so that when we wake up on Sunday morning, we jump out of bed excited that we're getting to go and be in the house of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. What an amazing honor that is. I want to start every day prepared to know God's necessity in my life and to know that, oh, I get a chance to worship him. We must begin with understanding that God is necessary. He's necessary in every aspect in our preparation for worship. God is necessary in the church. Secondly, the necessity of God in our participation. The necessity of God in our participation he goes on to say in, in, in the rest of verse 1 and then in verse 2, he says, Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. So as we enter into our time of worship we must then be completely reliant upon God, not only in preparing for worship, but in participating in worship. The teacher says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And listen there is also a double meaning, which means listen and obey in the Greek. So listen means listen and obey. Our participation in worship must be a place from a place of obedience. Why is this the case? Because when men worship out of their own power, more often than not, they worship wrong. It's the truth. When we try to worship out of, out of self, 
self-help, when we try to worship out of self-power, who do we worship? Well, we worship ourselves. It's only when we enter into our worship with a heart that's, that's totally focused on God that can he show us how to truly worship him. Because if I get a chance to, my flesh is going to worship Bryson. The scripture that makes me think of, of this is 1 Samuel 15. Saul is, is, is the first king of, of Israel. And Saul had been instructed to go and totally destroy the Amalekites. That was his instruction from Samuel Uh, through Samuel from God, is go and completely destroy the Amalekites. So Saul went and fought the Amalekites, but instead of completely destroying them, he kept many of the sheep and the cattle for himself, as well as the king. And when confronted by Samuel, this is what Saul says. He says, the soldiers, they brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. You see what he does there? He says, my disobedience is okay, right? Because I, I brought these back to, to sacrifice them to God, right? We, we kept the best, only the best of the sheep and the, and, and the best of the cattle. And even though you told me to destroy, completely destroy all the Amalekites, I brought back some because my idea of what worship is is better than what God told me to do. So we all see what Saul does here when he makes this argument that his disobedience ought to be accepted because the end result of it will be sacrifice to God. So in Saul, we see this thought process that God isn't necessarily necessary in our worship. right? Why, 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 do, why should I listen to God? I'm, I'm worshiping the way that I know how. I'm worshiping the way that I, I, I feel like is right. Saul believes that the task of the sacrifice is more, in part, and more important than the heart of the sacrifice. And Samuel, Samuel responds by saying, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he delights in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of, of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And so we see within this that the mechanical, rigid worship and sacrifice is not worship and sacrifice at all. It is only when the will of God is infused into our worship that it truly takes on the meaning of worship. Saul could sacrifice all day long, but if he's sacrificing out of the mechanical, robotic way, instead of sacrificing because it's the will of God to sacrifice, then there will not be any sacrifice because God delights in being obeyed. Worship without God is just singing. Praying without God is just talking. And preaching without God is just lecturing. We're not here to, we're not here to sing. We're not here to talk. And we're not here to lecture. We're here to worship. And we're here to pray. And we're here to preach. And in all of those things, God must be at the forefront for them to truly take on their meaning. So know that God is necessary in our participation in worship. Come forward ready to obey rather than offer the sacrifice of fools that comes from the heart of the flesh. This isn't about you. And this isn't about me. And if we make it that way, it'll never be truly the sacrifice that it needs to be in the eyes of an almighty God. What does he say? He says, God is in heaven and you were on earth. What a great place for us to begin our worship. I got to get down here. 
In order to truly be who God wants me to be, I need to recognize how much greater and how much more mighty and wonderful, and I need to be in awe of him. That's the heart that brings about true worship. God must be present in every aspect of the church, and his spirit must be the key to bringing out the true impact of the church. And he goes on to say, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. When we begin to speak too much, we begin to think that our words are more important than they are. I think about the kid in class. And any of you have ever had this situation happen before. There's a quiet kid in class. And uh, I remember this from high school. And he, for the first time ever, he raises his hand to answer a question. And he gets it right, right? And he's so happy. But what happens after that? He, now his hand goes up every time the question's asked, right? Every time the question's asked, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. And by the, by the time this is over with, right, we go from a humble kid who, who's not really sure of himself to a kid who really thinks too highly of his opinion. That happens to us when we begin to talk too much as the church. When we, be, when we begin too much to talk about our ideas and our plans and our structures and our outreaches and our, 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 all of a sudden we think that we're the most important part of the church. I tell you what, the church is going to go on after me. And the church is going to go on after you because the church is not powered by Bryson. It's powered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so when we begin to recognize and see that, we see that I need to come humbly before God because everything that I bring is rubbish if it is not powered by him. Man, we need to know the necessity of God in our participation in worship. Your singing, though it may sound pretty or not, right, only brings power and, and, and true worship to him when it's out of a heart of sacrifice and humility, when it's on its way up, oh, all of a sudden it sounds like sweet music in God's ears when it comes from that heart of knowing that God is the necessity that we need in our worship. It is extremely difficult to talk and listen at the same time. We begin to speak too much. James 3, 1 and 2 tells us that not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that who, those who teach will be judged more strictly. And we all stumble in many ways. And who, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Why is that? Because the mouth leads to, leads to death. The mouth can get us in so much trouble. Think about the ways in which my mouth, when untamed, can lead to destruction. Think of the way that we destroy each other with our words more now than ever. And I tell my students this all the time. It used to be you could only destroy one person at a time. And now you can get on Facebook and you can destroy 100,000 people at once. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Because when we begin to talk, we begin to talk way too much. When we begin to talk too much, we start to edge out what God has for us in worship and begin to implement what we have for ourselves in worship. And that is the sacrifice of a fool. Only, only a fool would, would, would worship a God with a mindset of pride. Only a fool would worship an almighty God with a mindset of, you know, this is how I think he ought to be worshiped. If I pray, it'll be out of a heart of obedience and joy for who God is. If I teach, it'll be of the same way. Allow us to understand our place before God and know that our mouths often get us in trouble, but our ears are used for hearing the instruction of God. 
Don't view your opinion above God's. Don't view your truth above God's. Matthew 6, 7, and 8 says, When you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't it great to have a God who knows your heart and doesn't need to hear it out of your mouth? Allow us to see and understand the necessity of God in our participation in worship. And finally, the necessity of God in our practice. The necessity of God in our practice. So where does this all lead? My preparation for and my participation in worship, where does it ultimately lead me? Well, it should lead me and you to not only a better recognition of, recognition of who God is, but also a better recognition of the way in which he can use me when I leave here. It should lead us to move on from here into the practice of our worship in our daily lives. When we begin to orient our worship around God, he will present and he will call his people to make changes in their own lives and hopefully help influence changes in the lives of those around them. The reason that we meet together in the way that we do is to worship the Father, but it's also to be renewed and empowered to go and live out our worship in our daily lives. So the teacher advises the people, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. The Old Testament has many passages in regards to vows. Some of, the, some of them are Numbers 30 and Deuteronomy 23. Within these verses, the most prominent theme is the one, make, who, the one who makes a vow must keep it. If you go back and listen to the way God talks about vows, he takes them very seriously. We may call it a promise, or we may call it a pledge. But also the New Testament talks about this too. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. We've all been in these situations before. We sit through a message and God stirs our hearts and, and we make a confession to the Lord or we promise that we will or will not do something in response. We've all been there before because when we've been in the house of God Worshiping him, God stirs the heart of the believer. I think of the perfect example for me is church camp. Some of you have never experienced church camp. I've been to about 85,000 church camps, which is a lot if you do the math in my 26 years, okay? And uh, at church camp, whether as a student or as a leader, at the end of the week, there's always this, what I call just like a spiritual high. Like it's just amazing at the end of the week when, when all the students come together and we're about to leave and you got students who are saying, I don't want to leave, right? I don't want to go back. I, I love it here. And, and the reason for that is because we spent a whole week doing what? We've been a whole, spent a whole week talking about God and we spent a whole week worshiping God. And we spent a whole week being around other people who love God. We spent a whole week eating together and talking about God. And we spent this whole week with our whole lives oriented and, and, and our whole thought process, everything infused with who God is and how wonderful he is. And so by the end of the week, you have all these students who are so excited about the fact of where God has brought them in the week. And I've seen it time and time again. I've been there before myself. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But many times the things that I hear from students are, are things such as, when I get home, I'm telling all my friends about Jesus. Or, or, or when I get home, I'm coming to church every Sunday. 
Or when I get home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible every morning. And, and, and I hear all these things every year. And I pray that the Lord will, will allow those children to do that. But then we get two or three weeks past and I haven't seen them. Two or three weeks removed and Bryson, as a student, has not picked up his Bible since church camp. Two or three weeks later and you're wondering what was the, what was the, what was the point of camp itself. This whole week we had made God a priority and we had been filled up and can't wait to promise God everything. Then we return to reality and our focus shifts from God back to the world. And we quickly forget the promises we have made. We quickly forget the vows that we have brought before him. We quickly forget the ways in which he urged us to continue to worship him even in the midst of our daily lives. And the teacher says it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. We are so quick to make grand promises in the midst of time, but our vow quickly becomes of less importance as we dive headfirst into a world that says that you are more important than God. So what I want us to see and understand, I'm not trying trying to berate anybody, but what I want us to see and understand for both Bryson and church, is not only God a necessity in preparing and participating in worship, but he is a nece- he's necessary in living out what he has called you to live out from day to day. We must recognize that not only are we the church right here and now, but we're the church Monday through Saturday, and God is a, as necessary then as he is ever. And so when, when God stirs your heart here, don't leave here and forget to keep your eyes on him as you go out and try to live what he's called you to live throughout the week. Don't just make God necessary when our, when our eyes are fixated on him, but make him necessary when our eyes are fix on, fixated on him out there. Because the only way that we're going to be able to live this out is if we continue to make him number one in our lives all the time. Because Bryson is weak. The flesh is weak. But God has given us what? The power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the helper, the advocate, the one who reminds us of Jesus' teachings, the one who reminds us all the things that we've been taught, the one who empowers us, the one who prays on our behalf. So when we go out there, keep your mind and your heart focused not on yourself and all the things that you have to do. Don't leave here and be the first question is, where's lunch? Right? That's my favorite question to ask. Man, where are we going to eat? I love Sundays. But make our first question, what did you get out of the message this morning? Make the first thing that you think about when you step outside of those doors be the same thing you were thinking when you left them, and that is, man, what has God taught me this morning? The more we think about God, the more he shows us the reality of what we need to change, and the more we will change, and the more we'll see God change the people around us. Oh, we need to be a church that sees the necessity of God. Isn't that the beauty of God? He does not call you to do anything that he isn't willing to empower you to do. Jesus said to go, and I love this, go and make disciples of all nations. And this is how he ended that. And truly I am with you always to the very end of the age. He did not say go and make disciples of all nations. Good luck. See you in a couple hundred years. He did not say go and make disciples of all nations. I'm sure you can do it on your own. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, and truly, I am with you to the very end of the age. That is a promise from God. And so when we keep our minds and our hearts fixated on him, we will go and we will make disciples of all nations because we're going to be living it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
As we close, I want us to look at one more scripture, and I'll be done. Acts 4. Peter and John are arrested for healing a man. Isn't that incredible? Arrested for healing a man and preaching the gospel. And they've been arrested, and and finally the guards come in, and all the people are amazed right at what's happened in Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn there, it's uh, verse 18. All the people are amazed at what God has done. But, of course, the, the authorities don't like it, right? Because the focus isn't on them. And so it says, they, in verse 18, it says, Then they called, him, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, isn't that amazing, the, the, the fulfilling that they had with the Holy Spirit, that the fact that they were able to stand before authorities who could choose that whether they lived or died and say, I don't listen to you, right? I listen to God. That was one of those moments that God was necessary in their participation in worship. That was a way in which God was necessary in their lives. But then I want us to see what happens after that. They, they, they warn them some more, and then they send them off, right? And look at the way Peter and John reply in verses 23 and following, and this is going to be a little bit longer scripture, then I'll be done, okay? I said that already. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now listen, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They did not say, keep us safe from the bad guys. They did not say, hide us away in a room. They said, give us boldness in the way that we speak about you. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What I want us to see there and understand as we, as we close this morning is the fact that this. God told them, listen, you don't listen to them, you listen to me. And you tell them, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. And what did they do? They went back and they prayed, Lord, help me to continue to preach the gospel. It's that easy. When God stirs your heart, pray about it. Know that he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a necessary part of your participation. When they left, they didn't say, boy, I'm hungry, are you? Let's go eat. When they, when, they, when they were released from jail, they didn't say, well, I'm glad that that was good. We'll, 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 we'll convey about that next Sunday. Oh, people, God is necessary the moment we walk out those doors. If you want to make an impact on his behalf, he has to be in the forefront of your mind at all times. When God says, I want you to read your Bible more this week, I pray that as you get in your car, you pray, God, give me the ability to read my Bible more this week. It is that simple, but God will, will do the power. He'll provide the power. Lord. He will do the work. It's amazing that we have a God who simply says, humble yourself 
and obey me and see the, the miracle and the wonder of what I can do through you. But the church needs to know the necessity of God in every aspect of our lives, in every aspect of our worship. As we conclude, we simply look at the final phrase. Final phrase, much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. God is what's most important. This isn't a, a, a fear in which drives us from God, but this is a fear in which draws us to God. I'm in awe of the majesty of God. Alistair Begg once again said, we ask the question of ourselves in all situations, would our Father approve? What a simple question to ask, but when we look and we fear God, we ask in every situation, would our Father approve? Lord, please guide us in our preparation, in our participation, and in our practice of worship. Acts 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Spirit, it was increased in numbers. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your, your glory and your majesty, Lord. We, we come as a people who are humbled by the way in which you use sinners like us to further your kingdom. Lord, as we leave here this morning, Lord, I pray that we not leave mechanically, Lord, and we not leave the same way that we always leave and, and, and think about the next thing, Lord, but that we think about you and you alone, Lord, that we continue to have you on our hearts and minds at all times, Lord. I pray that as we prepare, even for next Sunday morning, Lord, that you would wake us up with an invigorated sense that we need to get ready for worship. We need to prepare our hearts for worship. We need to draw close to you, humble ourselves, pray for one another, Lord, as we prepare for worship. Because if we want to be a people who truly makes a difference in the way in which we live our lives, it starts with making a difference in the way that we perceive ourselves in comparison to you. Lord, you don't need me. Oh, but I need you. Lord, may that be our prayer. May we be awakened spiritually, Lord, in each and every day of our lives, just to do your work, Lord, and see that all of life is meaningless if it does not line up with your will. In your name we pray. Amen.
as we leave this morning, I just pray that that song would be on your heart. I actually um, asked Catherine if we could sing that this week. Just, it's a simple song, but it speaks everything that we need to speak on our way out of the building this morning. Um, Jesus, you are Jesus. <laughs> King of kings, Lord of lords, you are Jesus. How, how amazing it is that he makes it that simple. Um, so I pray that that would be on our heart. I'm actually going to ask if we can sing the Jesus part as the benediction. Please? Okay. I must, I must be feeling powerful. Uh, two, week, two, two weeks in a row in the pulpit, and all of a sudden I've got a big head. No. Um, but uh, I'm going to ask if we can see that as we leave. And I, pr- I really want us to think, be thinking of that and praying over that song as we leave. Sunday school at 10 o'clock for the children in the children's building and for the adults in the, in the old sanctuary. And then we will have youth and adult classes tonight at 6. Um, we love you, and uh, we pray that you would just continue. Oh, yeah, Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. We are going to decorate for Christmas because we're running out of time to do that before Thanksgiving and all those kind of things. So if you are available Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock and you would like to help us, we need it, okay? Because right now I've already known three people who are like our design eyes that aren't going to be here. And you do not want me and Randy Meach and be the ones who get to design everything. So we can carry heavy stuff, but we cannot design, all right? So if you have time to be here that morning, uh, let's do that. Let's sing. Jesus, you are Jesus. week.